0: Chapter Seven, Part Two of Catherine de or Social and Domestic Scenes in the Life of Luther. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Bill Mosley, LANO County, Texas, USA. Catherine de Bora, or social and domestic scenes in the life of luther by john g morris his second child elizabeth was born during the prevalence of the contagious disease in wittenberg before alluded to she lived only nine months and luther's grief at her death was excessive he thus writes to Hausmann: never could i have believed a parent's heart could be so tender towards children SELDOM HAVE I MOURNED SO DEEPLY. MY SORROW IS LIKE THAT OF A WOMAN." The death of his third child, Magdalena, at the age of fourteen, was a severe affliction. She was a girl of unusual promise, amiable, gifted, and pious. Her complete resignation to the will of God, her vivid conception of the doctrines of the Bible, her strong faith in the Saviour and her filial and religious virtues distinguished her far above many of her tender years she was for a long time confined to bed and she felt that her end was rapidly drawing nigh she ardently desired to see her brother john who was a student at the academy at torgau the father gratified her wish and dispatched a messenger to summon the absent son to the deathbed of his sister. Luther, as far as was possible, watched by the side of the dying child. Although the trial was severe, his patient submission to the will of God was characteristic of the man and the Christian. Alas, sighed he, quote, I love this child most tenderly, but, O God, as it is thy will to take her to thyself, I cheerfully resign her into thy hands." End quote. Then he advanced to the bed and spoke to the suffering child, quote, "Magdalena my daughter, you would willingly remain with your father on earth, and yet you also desire to go to your father in heaven." End quote. On which she replied, quote, "Yes dearest father, just as it pleases God." End quote. He continued, quote, Dearest child, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. End quote. Overcome by emotion, he turned away and said, Oh, how I love this suffering child. But if the flesh is now so strong, what will then the spirit be? Well, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. When she was breathing her last, the mother, overwhelmed with sorrow, retired from the couch. Luther threw himself on his knees, wept convulsively, and implored God to release the child from suffering. He then took her by the hand, and she died. The father at once had recourse to the scriptures to seek consolation for his grievous loss. He opened the book, and the passage— Romans fourteen seven, first arrested his attention, quote, for none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. End quote. This expressive passage was as a balm to his wounded heart. When the body was deposited in the coffin, he said, quote, "Thou, dear Magdalena, how happy thou art." O dear Magdalena, thou wilt rise again, and wilt shine like a star, yea, like the sun. But the coffin having been made too small, he said, This bed is too small for her now that she is dead. I am indeed joyful in the spirit, but after the flesh I am very sad. The flesh is slow to come to the trial. This separation troubles us exceedingly it is a marvellous thing to know that she is certainly happy and yet for me to be so sad" End quote. when the people came to attend the funeral and according to custom addressed the doctor and said that they sincerely condoled with him in his affliction he said quote, "you should rejoice i have sent a saint to heaven yea a living saint oh if only such a death were ours, such a death, I would be willing to die this moment In quote. when one said quote, that is indeed true, yet we all wish to retain our relatives. In quote, Luther replied, quote, "Flesh is flesh, and blood is blood. I rejoice that she has passed over. I experience no sadness but that of the flesh." In quote. Again he said to others present quote, Be not grieved I have sent a saint to heaven, yea, I have sent two. End quote. When she was buried he said quote, it is the resurrection of the flesh End quote. and when they returned from the funeral he said quote, Now is my daughter provided for both as to body and soul. We Christians have no cause to complain. We know that it must be thus. We are perfectly assured of eternal life. For God, who through his Son and for the sake of his Son has promised it unto us, cannot lie. End quote. Throughout the whole of this trying event, Luther showed all the tenderness of an affectionate father and all the resignation of a Christian. His second son, Martin, was tenderly cherished by the father. He himself feared that the child would be spoiled by too much affectionate attention and favoritism. In reference to this, he said, The love of parents is always stronger for the younger than the elder children, and the more they require the care and protection of the parents, the more dear they are to them. Thus, my Martin is now my dearest treasure. Because he demands more of my attention and solicitude. John and Magdalena can walk and talk and can ask for what they want and do not require so much watchful nursing. End quote. But afterwards, Luther's anxieties about him were very great. Quote, he is rather a wild bird, said he, and he occasions me much solicitude. End quote but martin who was not without talents studied theology and it was only continued ill health that prevented him from publicly assuming the office of a preacher he spent his life in private teaching in an obituary notice of him it is said that he possessed such strong mental faculties and such striking oratorial powers as even to have excited the admiration of his father quote. of the third son paul when yet a child luther thus spoke quote, he is destined to fight against the turks quote, alluding to the energy of character then observed in him and which was afterwards so strikingly developed and truly this paul endowed as he was with unusual decision and unshaken perseverance was the most gifted of luther's sons even if he did not in all respects possess the heroic spirit of his father he was not only a zealous promoter of the science of alchemy so highly prized at that day but he was a distinguished chemist and succeeded by his assiduous labors in making many useful discoveries in chemistry and medicine he also possessed a thorough knowledge of ancient languages he was devoted with all his heart to the religious doctrines which his father restored and defended them with zeal and ability he was so strenuously attached to the orthodox system of theology that he once refused a very flattering call to the university of Jena. On account of the presumed heresies which the theologian Victorine Strigel had promulgated at that seat of learning, and he soon afterwards received the appointment of private physician to John Frederick II at Gotha. In fifteen sixty eight he served Joachim II of Brandenburg in the same capacity, by whom he was elevated to the rank of counselor. And richly rewarded. Afterwards, fifteen seventy one, he was employed by the elector August and his successor, Christian I, at Dresden. The former not only honored him by inviting him to be sponsor to his children, but also presented him with a farm, which, however, never came into the possession of his family, inasmuch as the subsequent times, during which the calvinist chancellor krell held the helm of affairs were not favorable to the prosperity of the sternly lutheran paul luther this same calvinistic spirit finally was the occasion of his retiring into private life in 1590 he moved to leipzig where he died in 1593 at the baptism of this son, Luther said, quote, I have named him Paul, for St. Paul has taught us many great and glorious doctrines, and hence I have named my son after him. God grant that he may have the gifts and grace of the great apostle. If it please God, I will send all my sons away from home. If any one of them has a taste for the military profession, I will send him to Field Marshal leuser if any one wishes to study him i will send to jonas and philip if any one is inclined towards labor him i will send to a farmer but afterwards when he became better acquainted with their disposition he changed his mind god forbid said he that my sons should ever devote themselves to the study of the law That would be my last wish. John will be a theologian. Martin is good for nothing, and about him I have great fears. Paul must fight against the Turks. But history teaches us that his wishes were not gratified. He himself subsequently advised Paul to study medicine and the example of John induced all the educated sons of Luther's children for several generations to study law. The sixth child, Margaret, who entered into a happy matrimonial alliance, was dangerously attacked with fever after the measles, from which her brother suffered at the same time. Her father was much alarmed about her condition, but comforted himself with the thought that she would be taken out of this present evil world. She married George V. Kuhlheim, a civil officer in the Prussian service, who was a pious man and a most ardent admirer of Luther, and especially of his writings, of which his favorite one was Luther's Exposition of the Book of Genesis. So profound was his reverence for the reformer, that the fact was thought worthy of being mentioned in the sermon preached at his funeral. His youngest son must have inherited his father's disposition and character, for he always esteemed it the highest possible honor to be the grandson of the great Luther. It is not known to what extent Catherine took part in the education of her children, but a woman of her mild and amiable temper and strong decision of character must have contributed much to the proper training of her offspring. These prominent traits exercised a subduing influence even on her husband, and Erasmus, who was at this time bitterly opposed to him, says, quote, Since Luther's marriage, he begins to be more mild, and does not rave so fearfully with his pen as formerly, end quote. Presuming this to be true, it speaks well for the character of Catherine as a woman and a wife. Luther not only employed special teachers for his children, but also instructed them himself, notwithstanding his numerous other engagements. He says, quote, Though I am a doctor of divinity, still I have not yet come out of the school for children, and do not yet rightly understand the Ten Commandments, the Creed, and the Lord's Prayer but study them daily, and recite the catechism with my little Hans and Magdalena." For years he superintended their instruction, diligently watching their progress, and often giving them tasks to perform. But, above all, he was solicitous about their religious and moral training, agreeably to his own sound principle. The father must speak out of the children. The proper instruction of children is their most direct way to heaven, and hell is not more easily earned than by neglecting them. They were taught to pray and to read the scriptures and other devotional books in the presence of the family. Particularly during their meals did he address them in impressive paternal admonitions. Morning and evening he assembled his numerous family, house teachers, guests, and domestics, to worship when it is elsewhere said that luther daily spent three hours in private devotion it must be restricted to the period of the diet of augsburg when he was concealed at coburg luther during all his life was a man of prayer although he was opposed to mechanical formality in regard to special times and seasons as he had been taught in the church of rome yet he maintained a certain order and regularity in the performance of his Christian duty. Mathesius, one of his biographers and a contemporary, says, quote, Every morning and evening, and often during meals, he engaged in prayer. Besides this, he repeated the smaller catechism and read the Psalter. In all important undertakings, prayer was the beginning, middle, and end, end, quote. I hold, says Luther, my prayer to be stronger than Satan himself. And if that were not the case, it would long since have been quite different with Luther. If I remit prayer a single day, I lose a large portion of the fire of faith. His writings contain many sparkling gems on the subject of prayer. Fondly as he was attached to his children, yet he never showed a culpable indifference to their errors and least of all when they were unruly or displayed anything like ingratitude or deception on one occasion when john at twelve years of age was guilty of a gross impropriety he would not allow him to come into his presence for three days and paid no regard to the intercessions of the tender mother and of his intimate friends jonas and but forgave him only after he had repented of his fault and humbly begged for pardon he said quote i would rather have a dead son than a rude and naughty living one paul has not in vain said a bishop must be one who ruleth well his own house having his children in subjection so that other people may be edified witnessing a good example and not be offended WE MINISTERS ARE ELEVATED TO SUCH A HIGH POSITION IN ORDER TO SET A GOOD EXAMPLE TO OTHERS. BUT OUR uncivil CHILDREN GIVE OFFENSE TO OTHER PEOPLE. OUR BOYS WISH TO TAKE ADVANTAGE OF OUR POSITION AND PRIVILEGES, AND SIN OPENLY. PEOPLE DO NOT INFORM ME OF THE FAULTS OF MINE, BUT CONCEAL IT FROM ME. THE COMMON SAYING IS FULFILLED. WE DO NOT KNOW THE MISCHIEF DONE IN OUR OWN FAMILIES. We only discover it when it has become the town talk. Hence we must chastise them and not connive at their follies. Once, when he saw a youth of fine personal appearance and uncommon abilities, but of corrupt morals, he exclaimed, Ah, how much evil an overindulgence occasions. Children are spoiled by allowing them too much liberty. Hence I shall not overlook the faults of my son John, nor shall I be as familiar with him hereafter as with his little sister." But Luther, though he received from his father a severe training, and was roughly treated at school, was too well acquainted with human nature not to know that undue severity in all things created a cowardly slavish fear in the minds of some children and obstinacy and dissimulation in others. Hence he pursued the golden medium and tried to accomplish his purpose by kind and yet earnest admonitions. Quote, I will not chastise Hans too severely, for he will become shy of me and hate me, End quote, said he. Quote, We must take care to teach the young to find pleasure in that which is good, For that which is forced out of them by stripes, will not be profitable, and if this is carried to excess, they will only continue good as long as they feel the lash. But by admonition and judicious chastisement, they learn to fear God more than the rod. We must often stammer with children, and in all good things come down to a level with them. That is, we must be tender, Affectionate and condescending, and if that is of no avail, then we may employ severity. End quote. When he saw his wife or children suffering, his sympathizing heart often found relief in tears. I love my Catherine, he would say. Quote, I love her more than I do myself. I would rather die myself than she and the children should die. End quote. It was only when the cause of religion was concerned that the dearest object on earth was not too dear, for the honor of religion and truth, he would have sacrificed wife and children. Deeply penetrated with this sentiment, the magnanimous reformer, when he had already become the father of two children, could most cordially say, in the spirit of Christ's words, let them take my life, property, reputation, children, and wife. Let them all go. The kingdom of God is still ours. End quote. His heroic hymn, Ein Feisteberg ist unser Gott, sufficiently shows his feelings on this subject. End of section 8, chapter 7, part 2. Recording by Bill Mosley, Lano County, Texas USA.